All right, guys, welcome to Craft Conversations, where I craft a conversation and I talk a little bit about craft beer, but uh, we're going to get into that in a moment about uh, why there's no beer on this podcast, on this episode, or for the month, for that matter, um, but we'll get into that. Um, but welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's everybody doing? Hope everybody's having uh, had a good weekend. And uh, I'll get into to some of the stuff I did over the past week, and maybe even some stuff on the weekend. Not going to be a long one today, I don't think. Uh, the last couple that I've done, if you're keeping up, have uh, been somewhat lengthy. Not really lengthy in comparison to what uh, we used to do, you know, two, two and a half hours pretty consistently. But uh, they were lengthy, and they were cumbersome, I guess, would be maybe a better word. I don't know. But I'm going to get into that as well. But I was driving home tonight. Why is my mouse? There it is. I couldn't find my mouse. My mouse was gone. My mouse was missing. Um, what was I saying? Oh, so yeah, I was coming home and I see this thing all the time and it's always, it's always bugged me. And I hate that it bugs me. I really do hate that it bugs me, but it does bug me. And what am I talking about? What's bugging Brian Dales? Well, I'm glad you asked. There is a bike that sits at the corner of East Richardson, Richard Street, not Richardson, East Richard Street and Berlin G. Myers here in Somerville. It's a white bike. It, <clears throat> I, think I've been, I think I've been in town, when did I come back to, to, to Somerville? May of 2014, I believe, on Mother's Day, as a matter of fact. It was, it was a surprise for my mother. Uh, I wanted to come back, uh, drove back straight from Vegas, slept one hour on the way here. I've talked about it previously and wanted to, to be here on Mother's Day. So I had planned to to leave Vegas and just take two or three days to travel across the country over back over here in South Carolina, stop at a few hotels, hang out, see the sights, whatever. And then once I got in the car, uh, it's me and my dog, uh, once I got in the car, I decided, you know what, it's, it's Mother's Day tomorrow why don't I just um, drive until I get there and just uh, surprise my mother on Mother's Day so that's what I did but anyway since I've been back in town I, I went off on a tangent as always I don't think it was immediately I think it happened shortly after I was back in town um, but it's been at least I mean I've been back five years now I guess right five six seven eight no four pl- plus years I don't know how long it's been but I've been back here for a little while I don't think this thing was there it's maybe been there three years, possibly four at the most. It's a long time. Let's put it that way. I mean, in, in relation to what I'm talking about, it's a long time. But anyway, there's a bike that sits chained to a stop sign at the corner of East Richard Street, East Richard Street in Berlin G. It's been sitting there forever. It's a memorial bike. Um, I don't like it. I don't like it. I, I see it every time I drive by, and I'm like, why is there just a bike just littering the road? I know what the meaning of it is. Don't get me wrong, guys. I'm not being in, um, not insincere. Um, I don't even know what the f- Oh, God. Where are my words tonight? And I, ha- I'm not, I haven't even drank a drop today or yesterday or the day before. And again, I'll get to that. But I'm not being insensitive. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, when I say these things, I'm just saying, it, it, to me, it's an eyesore. When I drive by it, I'm like, why is that bike still sitting there? We get it. We get the point. 
all the people that drive by it have, have seen it a million times. I think everybody everybody gets it. Everybody gets the point. Something Somebody died right there, and I'm going to get into this. I'm going to explain what this actually is. It actually is a thing. Um, but somebody died there, and it's a memorial of sorts, just like you might drive down the interstate and you see a, a cross with some flowers and some wreaths or whatever at a tree, and you can definitely tell that a car went off the road, hit this tree, um, and it's it's a memorial for whoever died there. But I drive the interstates all the time, and those things usually disappear within a short amount of time. I mean, within weeks, months. They're not sitting there for three, four, five years. Um, it happened. You put a little memorial there so people know, and, and, and it helps you grieve and those type things. And then you remove it because we just, we can't have this stuff just littering the streets all over the place. I mean, if we put a bicycle or one of those memorials at every single place that somebody has lost their life on the on the streets, on the highways, on the uh, in the neighborhoods, whatever, we'd have stuff littered across this nation like you just wouldn't believe. It would be just a junkyard of stuff. And I don't think anybody wants that. I mean, we, we have a place, which I don't even agree with this anymore. We have a place for those memorials, for those people. They're called mausoleums. They're called graveyards. They're called cemeteries, whatever. We, we've already created a place all across the nation, places, millions of them. We have already created a place to, to memorialize and, and um, remember these people. So why are we making new graveyards across the United States? And, and why do we even still have graveyards? I mean, who, who decided we should, we should take all our dead and bury it in one part of town um, six feet underground. It just makes no sense. It just makes no sense. We're, we're, we're monopolizing. Um, and I, and I believe monopolizing is a good word. I think it's a, it's a moneymaker. I mean, the gravestone guys are making money. The plots at the graveyard are making money. The land itself is making money. It's property. Um, it's, it's just ridiculous. I, I think the time for, for burying our dead in one part of town, multiple parts of town is over. Um, nobody's coming back. There's no reason why we can't just um, uh, return that body back to the earth. And we say that, you know, even when, when they're putting him into the ground, they say ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Well, that's true, but we're putting him in this, con we're putting, in this, we're putting, we're pumping formaldehyde into him first off and foremost, because we're, we're usually having open caskets, which is fucking crazy. That's another thing that is ridiculous. I mean, why do we need to see these people dead some of them were maimed and they've recreated their face it's not even their real face and we're having open casket ceremony so we can view this person you have a view of that person from the time you've known them to the time they died in your mind view that don't view this morbid um wax looking figure that's not even the same color as the person used to be it's not even Usually it's not even what they would normally wear. It's something that somebody picked out that said this was their favorite outfit. Um, it's just, it's, re oh my God, it's so ridiculous. We waste so much time and effort and money and real estate and resources to do all this stuff. But my point was, we're putting them in these coffins. We're putting them in the ground. They got formaldehyde pumped in them for the viewing. So so uh, they don't look, you know, like they do it, like they really do when they're dead. Um now they're in these sealed coffins. They're not even going back to the earth. They're decomposing, if they're decomposing even, in these coffins. <laughs> we can't even return these natural resources. We're a natural resource. We're born from this earth. 
we need to go back into the earth. That energy needs to go back into the earth. It doesn't need to be, and these are just my thoughts, guys. It doesn't need to be concealed into, into this casket, into this coffin. We need to return it to the earth that, um, that bred us, that we came from. So, I don't know. But what, what was I getting to? You know, apparently these bicycles, they memorialize deaths um, supposedly similar to the crosses on the side of the road. Like I said, um, you know, this is out of the Post and Courier here uh, a few years ago. They wrote an article actually about this to say, to explain, you know, what are all these bikes doing all over the road? Um, it says you see a ghost bike and then you know someone died there. People keep calling them, keep calling them accidents, but most of them are crashes that could have been prevented. You know, I've reread this sentence a million times. I'm trying to figure out how they meant this because it doesn't make sense. They are accidents. Nobody, nobody hit these people on purpose. That would not be an accident. That would be content or um, not, be intent to to hit somebody. These are all accidents. Um, it goes on to say uh, crashes that could have been prevented. I'm glad people have taken up the fight to increase awareness, but it's hard not to get overwhelmed by the sadness. Um, they, uh, people keep calling them the accidents because they are accidents. Am I wrong guys? Am I off base on this? That's what an accident is, right? You didn't mean for it to happen. It accidentally happened. Um, could they have been prevented? Sure. They probably could have been prevented, but that would have been preventing an accident because that's what it is. But my point was on this whole rant, and I don't even know why I started on this to start the podcast off. I guess just to get it out of the way because the rest of the stuff kind of flows into each other. So I didn't want to kind of put it in the middle somewhere. But it's time to get rid of these bikes. Put them out there for a week, for a month, maybe two months at the very most. But that bike has been there for four years. Let me go Let me go to this side. I pulled this side up actually. Here we go. So ghost bikes are small and somber memorials for bicyclists who are killed or hit on the street. A bicycle is painted all white and locked to a street sign near the crash site, accompanied by a small plaque. They serve as reminders of a tragedy that took place on an otherwise anonymous street corner and as quiet statements in support of cyclists' right to safe travel. Uh, The ghost bikes were created in St. Louis, Missouri in 2003. Currently, there are over 630 ghost bikes that have since appeared in over 210 locations throughout the world. For those who create and install the memorials, the death of a fellow bicyclist hits home. We all travel the safe, the same unsafe. God damn! We all travel the same unsafe streets and face the same risk. It could just as easily been any one of us. Well, no shit. Each time we say we hope to never have it, have to do it again, but we remain committed to making those memorials as long as they are needed. Um, come on. You know, and this is a person that just wants, uh, just wants, I'm going to get flack for this. I know I am. People are going to call me insensitive and they're going to call me a dickhead and a, and a moron or whatever. But somebody wanted to create this just to create something. And that's fine. Create something. I'm creating something right here. But it, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense for the long term. I've, I saw in the Post and Courier, there's some of these bikes that have been, here since 2008, I think that's the oldest date that I ran across. There might be some older dates, I'm not sure. But 2008, guys, come on, 10 years we're going to have these bikes out here. How many more are we going to have? 
when are we going to start putting uh, tying a car up to a tree after a memorial? You know, take that car and just tie it to the tree and leave it there. Let's just have a bunch of cars all over the road. Uh, what about the bus that uh, overturned and crashed and killed, uh, you know, 14 students on board? Are we going to uh, throw a bus out on a street corner and tie it to a stop sign? Uh, motorcycle? When does it stop? To me, it's junk. We're, we're tying junk up to the streets, and it's just eyesores. I mean, it's just like a billboard to me. We need to get rid of all the billboards around this damn place. It's ridiculous. You're, you're, you're ruining the horizon, the landscape, uh, the land we live in by putting up all this crap everywhere. Um, and I'm not saying that it's crap um, that this person died. That is crappy, really, but come on, man. Ten years to have a bike tied up to a street sign? That's that's idiotic. It really is. We've got a place to memorialize people, and we don't even need that. The memories are in your head, guys. I, I say this a million times. All the memories are in your head. We don't need this kind of stuff. Now, you're saying that you're doing it to remind uh, you know, the motorist that there's uh, bicycles and motorcycles on the road. We know it. We see it every day on the TV. There's commercials for that. There's a, you know, advertisement in, in the magazines that you're reading and the books that you're reading. We don't need to be putting physical artifacts out around town. It's ridiculous. Let's put a stop to it, really. Can we, can we get over that? Whew. Anyway, if you want to read more about it, go to uh, uh, ghostbikes.org. That's ghostbikes.org. Look it up. See what it's all about. If you've ever wondered what, why you see a bike tied up somewhere. That'll explain it. Let's start a movement to get rid of ghost bikes. How about that? After a certain amount of time. Put them up. I don't care. Put them up for a certain amount of time, but then it's time for them to go. It's time for them to go. And sometimes they do go. Sometimes people, um, God dang it, I went back. I did the wrong thing here. Sometimes they do go. Sometimes uh, people come out there and steal those bikes, which is um, really shitty. Did I delete that? I think I deleted I don't know why it did. Hold on, guys. I'm trying to find <laughs> trying to find my notes here that I emailed to myself. I, I hit the wrong button and did something to them. There it is. But yeah, some people steal the bikes and then they replace the bikes. I mean, come on. Uh, the bike is gone now. We don't need to put up a new bike. And where are you getting these bikes? Who's paying for these bikes? The government. The city, the town, is it an individual, is it a non-profit? I don't know who's paying for it, but let's put a time limit on the bikes, guys. That's all I'm saying. <clears throat> all right, enough of that. We did, um, or I did, uh, two remote podcasts here recently. If you keep up with the podcast, and hopefully you do, hopefully you listen or watch or whatever to each and every one of them, because they're all different, really. What is going on with my cord? Everything is messed up, and I'm, and that's why, because I've been doing remote podcasts. I've been traveling with all my stuff. So I did two of them recently. I did, um, last Tuesday, I released a Paul Stone episode, or Paul Pietrofesso, as his real name is. There we go. That, now I can move that. So you'll see me messing with this on the video, because I do have the video working, guys. If you Again, if you've been paying attention, the video is on. Um... Paul Pietrofesso, uh, we were supposed to meet here at the Craft Conversation Studios, which I'm in right now at the Dale Zingarden and Pub, but I messed up my schedule and actually wasn't available when I said I was going to be available, and then 
he wasn't available at the next date that we scheduled, so he had to cancel. And then um, we only had one more day available because we were trying to do a podcast to promote a show that he was having, a CD release party at Homegrown Brewhouse, 117 South Main Street, downtown Somerville, Hutchison Square. Um, so I was working, and... It was a Thursday night. I wasn't going to be getting off until at least 11. And if, if people were hanging around, I might have gotten off later than that. But we were supposed to come back to the studio and do the podcast. And I just said, you know what? It'd be easier because I have no idea what time I'll get off and what time we'd be able to start back at the studio. So why don't I just bring the gear to Homegrown and we can set up and just do the podcast from there. It'd be cool. Uh, we got some beer um, there at the brew house, obviously, that we can just drink from there. It'll be nice to kind of advertise the place where I work and um, advertise a little bit for uh, Caleb and Amber over there at Homegrown and try and help increase some business for a local a local business owner there in town. So that's what we did. I brought uh, brought both of the mics. I brought both the headphones, headphone jack, the the Bose uh, Tone Master board, <clears throat> this computer, my keyboard, hard drive. I had it all hooked up. Brought the camera, the tripod. Excuse me. And um, we set it up. So go back and watch that episode. I think, excuse me, I think um, Joshua Jarman was 48. So Paul was uh, episode 47. So go back and watch episode 47, the homegrown episode. And it was pretty cool. I thought the setup was nice. We did a long shot down this table. Uh, the lighting was kind of cool. A little light. If you're watching it on a phone, it's going to be, you're going to have some darkness on there. If you're watching on a on a big screen projecting or you got YouTube apps on there, you know, smart TV, you can pull it up. It looks really good on the TV. But um, a nice cool shot down the with some uh, some glamour coming up off of the off of the table, the dark table there, some glitter, some glam, some shininess. Uh, made it look really cool. We did a podcast from there. First time going remote. <clears throat> there was um, not really some audio issues, but uh, some some things I didn't like. Um, we didn't have mic, uh, the mic pulled up far enough to Paul, so a little light on the voice on Paul's uh, side of the board, and uh, the mic still wasn't quite dialed in on that side. So a little light on that, and I apologize to Paul for that. Um, and then once we kicked into the uh, musical part, we did do a couple songs that you'll see on the video if you go to YouTube to my channel, Craft Conversations. You'll see um, a couple of songs that he performed on there. Fantastic. Uh, sounded wonderful uh, sitting there live. But I think I had both mics kind of pulled in a little bit too close. And um, kind of got a little loud and maybe just a tad distorted. But overall, great episode. Uh, my first time really going remote with my gear. Uh, we've done some remote stuff. Um, I take that back. We, kind of, we did a remote in Gatlinburg with uh, Slayton Johnson. Go back and watch that episode. That episode was wild, man. It was fantastic. We had a great time up there in Gatlinburg. But uh, digress. Um, so I did do, we did do one remote before, but this was the first one I've done solo. So let's do that. And the first one that we've done from a brewery or a brew house or a business or something like that. So it was the first time for a lot of things. I think we did it pretty well. Um, and I'm going to do more of them. So that takes me to the next one. I said I did two. Recently, I um, I went out and had a, another shot with uh, Joshua Jarman. I felt like we kind of did him a disservice 
<clears throat> on his first episode, episode four. You can go back and watch that one as well. Uh, we had some mic issues that day, and um, we had some real bad spots where you couldn't even hear our guest, and then we had some uh, some spots during his performance where you could hear the vocal pretty good, but you couldn't hear the guitar because the guitar mic was off, and just a bunch of different things on that episode that I was dissatisfied with, so I wanted to give Joshua a different chance, and he's done some, some new stuff since the, the last time we had him in, you know, six months ago or so. So... He was having trouble getting to the studio as well. So I said, you know what? Why don't I come out there to you, man, to Ridgeville? And you've got this cool van that you converted. Uh, it's an 81 or an 82 uh, Dodge van. And uh, Chevy van? No, it's a Dodge. Is it a Chevy? No, it's a Dodge. It's a Dodge. <laughs> but he's got GMC uh, seat belts that he's using in there to hold up his bed, his bed so his Murphy bed. Oh, why do I keep digressing on the different sidetracks here? But so I told him I come out. Uh, let's come out. I've never, I haven't seen your van. I've seen pictures of it. You've sent me pictures. I've seen a video, kind of walk around of it. But why don't I come out there to the van, man? We'll set up the gear in the van and we'll do a podcast from a van. And that's exactly what we did. So check out his first episode, episode four. Paul's first episode was seven. Paul's episode second episode was forty-seven. So that's kind of easy to remember, right? Seven and then 47. That's funny how that worked out. I just thought about that. Josh's first episode was episode four. He was in the infancy of our of this podcast. And the episode from this past Friday is episode 48. So that's weird once again. <laughs> There's a four in both of those numbers. I just thought of that. Holy cow. This is ridiculous. And I did not plan that. Now I've got to figure out how to keep that somehow going. How do I do that? This is episode 49, so it won't play into it because I've had many episodes by myself. So I, 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 got, I own all kind of numbers. Um, so go back and check those two episodes out. Uh, we went out and set up the same same gear I just told you I brought to Paul. I brought it out to, uh, to Joshua. And I tell you what, man, I feel like besides one small point, I feel like this was a phenomenal episode. I thought the shot that we had was really cool. Um, I thought that the audio was perfect on it. We dialed in the, uh, the guest mic a little bit more on the board and kind of got the, the tones and the levels right and the mid-bass and everything else, the mid-range. And uh, the music, again, you know, uh, we actually plugged his guitar into my board, which, the first, which was the first. Uh, we've never had somebody plug into the, to the board. Everybody's just played acoustic to the, to the mics here. If you see, if you're watching a video, the mic that I'm using, guest mics. So anyway, he was plugged into the board, so his guitar was already, you know, going to be coming through uh, on its own. But then we kept the uh, the two mics plugged in as well, and I think it was just overkill. I think we had, we should have uh, just left one mic kind of kind of there and pushed the other mic away, which I tried to do during the podcast. You'll see it if you watch the video. Um. What was I saying? So the speaking part of the podcast and then the end when we do, uh, when Joshua does two songs, the levels are a little higher for the guitar part and the, and the performance. But I, th I still thought it turned out great. All you got to do is just bump your volume down a couple notches and it sounds perfect. So this was almost, episode 48 was almost a pitch perfect episode because um, it was remote. It was set up nice. It had a great, uh, had a great shot as far as us. 
uh, cinematography, uh, the sound levels were great. Only thing was the way that we had to set up in the van to get the shot because of the this, this, this small space and the way that we had the only places that we had to clip on these clip on mics, <clears throat> his mic, and I wanted him forefront in the video because it was about him. It wasn't about me. It was his performance. It was his, uh, his moment. So I wanted him forefront and, and, and the good shot of the camera. So I kind of sat in the background and you can see me, but the way we had to set up the mic, it comes right across my face, just like this. So you get like a split screen every now and then you see my eyes a little bit and every now and then you'll see my mouth down below. Um, so if you're, if you watch the videos to see me, I apologize. You're not going to see much of me in Joshua's episode. So that's what I've been doing. I've been doing remote podcasts was my whole point on this rant and uh, doing a solo one. You know, I did two remote ones. I said, okay, let's do a solo one this time. Kind of keep mixing it up. I kind of like that format. I'm going to try and keep that up as best as possible. A remote, maybe a solo, a remote, solo, remote, solo. Sometimes back in the studio, then a remote, solo, back in the studio, solo. You get the point. I'm going to try and try and bounce it around, um, mix it up a little bit. I want to give people a different look. I want to, I want people to see where these people live, um, the elements that they live in, uh, where they're comfortable. Um, but then I also want to bring them to the studio and, and get a different look in here, too, and a different vibe and a different feel. So I'm bringing you lots of new stuff, guys. I got I got big plans to to do some big things. So the next one that I hope we're going to do, and this isn't set in stone yet, but we're going to go to Fleming Moore's house. And he lives in uh, historic downtown Somerville. He's got a nice place over there backyard i've only seen in videos he's done some performances out there uh with himself and some other musicians uh real nice lighting setup and a really cool vibe out there um, i think it's like maybe a gazebo type thing i can't remember i'll find out eventually but what we're going to do or what he, he and his wife are going to do is kind of redecorate that thing kind of clean it up a little bit and we're going to go out there and and uh, i think do the podcast from his uh back porch so that's going to be cool. And uh, many more guests to come. And if you've noticed, what I'm, I'm doing at the moment is I'm kind of recycling guests. You know, it's been six months for most of these people that have been on. So it's kind of a where are they now type thing. These people are always progressing. And most of them are artists, musicians, they're business owners. Um, so we want to catch up with them and say, hey, since the last time you've been in here, what's new? What's shaking? What's going on? You got any new albums coming out? You got any new business ventures? Have you closed down? You got a new business? Um, uh, last time we talked to you, your business burned down. Is that back open yet? When's the grand opening? How are things going? What have you been doing since the since the fire? So uh, we're trying to get trying to recycle a bunch of these guys and get them in and just follow up. Doesn't always have to be new guests. Um, I'd like to see a lot of these people on multiple times, not just once, twice, three times. But um, as many times as they want to come on, as long as they got something to say and we can have a conversation, I'm all for it. Let's do it. So that's where we're going. So you'll have some solo stuff sometimes. Um, and maybe the next one you'll have a guest. And we might be in the studio sometimes. Sometimes we might be somewhere else. And I'll tell you what, I'm not always going to do a solo episode from here as well. Either. Two. Also. Whatever. All those words. Maybe. I might go out and do it from the beach. I might go do it 
from a kayak, which, as a matter of fact, uh, talked to the elusive Gordon Peters, who was supposed to be my first guest as a solo artist. Still hadn't gotten him on here. We did one shot, and um, it was not <laughs> it was not releasable. Uh, recorded about 45 minutes with Gordon Peters, and it was trash. I, I could say absolutely nothing from that episode. I even had my notebook out. I was jotting down uh, start times, and I said, okay, let me listen. Uh, I started here one minute. Let's see, 30 seconds in, 40 seconds in, a minute in, nope, nothing to save there. And I, I went through that entire 45 minutes like that, trying to find snippets of perfection, snippets of um, honesty, snippets of um, realism, of humanism, of whatever. And I could not find one simple minute or even 30 seconds of a clip that I could save from that. That's how horrible it was. It was out of control. It was... I don't know. I can't think of any more words to describe it. It just it wasn't savable. 45 minutes just trashed out of the, out the door. And I'm sure that happens to everybody. But pretty much every episode that has been released throughout this podcast, all 48 of them, have been authentic and real, and first takes, and no cuts, and no edits. The only thing that gets edited is the audio, and the video gets put together with the audio. That's it. We have never cut anything out. Um, because we want it to be in the moment. We want it to be... I don't want it to be fake. I want it to be exactly as it happened, as it went. I don't do anything with mine either. But what was I getting right? What was I saying? Man, I keep going off on roads, on different trails. I was saying <clears throat> that I might not always be in the studio either as a solo. I might go out to different places. Um, then I got into Gordon Peters. We talked just last night that we might do ours from a kayak on the on on one of the on one of the rivers, either the Edisto or the Ashley. And as we float down the river. Um, probably more stationary. Maybe we'll we'll bank out somewhere, beach out on a on a sandbar. But it's going to be difficult to go down the river and do it because we always run into obstacles depending on what part of the river we're on. We'd have to have an open space, and you're talking at least thirty minutes. Um, but I'd like to talk to Gordon for an hour, hour and a half. Um, so to to go an hour, hour and a half down a river and try to keep everything together and not run into stuff and you got paddles banging up against your kayak and going through the water, that's going to be just be a big distraction, I think. So we'll probably beat you out. But this has been so long of a rant. I don't even understand why I'm talking so much about all this stuff. But let's, um, let's wrap that up, okay? We're 30 minutes in already. And all we've talked about is ghost bikes and we've talked about uh, what I've been doing with the podcast. But the point was with the podcast... There's cool stuff happening. <clears throat> I did a ton of solo. I did, tw what, 20 solo episodes before, 22, 23. I don't even know what the number is. Before I decided to have a guest in here, I just, I wasn't comfortable, man. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I was not comfortable having somebody in. I like that buffer when I had Caleb. It was a nice buffer. If there was a silence, if, if I had a silent moment where I couldn't get my thoughts together, Caleb would jump in. Same thing. When he was done speaking, I'd jump in. It was a nice back and forth. Then the guest would speak. I'd speak. Caleb would speak. He'd bounce something off of me. I'd bounce it back. He'd bounce it here. It's a nice little triangle, man. So 
when I went solo, uh, I got scared. And sometimes you got to do scared. You got to do things to scare you. And we're going to talk about that here soon. But um, the thought of having somebody sitting right across from me and me being the only one that had to spur that conversation and me being the only one that had to direct it to where it was supposed to go or where I wanted it to go or where I thought it should go or me to to um, to ask questions or me to look up stuff. I mean, I had to. The thought of me having to do all of that was scary, and it's it's tough to do scary things. And you need to do them. Again, we're going to talk about that. So I'm not going to get into that. Um, all right. Uh, I'm going to skip that. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that. So let's go into Sober November. What is that, you ask? Well, I posted um, a couple days, or actually the night... October 31st, as a matter of fact, Halloween, I posted a post on Facebook. I said, okay, um, I posted a picture, actually, of what I was eating. I was eating some crappy food, and I said, okay, this is um, my last cheat meal before I start uh, stop drinking November, I think is what I called it, or no, no drinking November. or so. It wasn't sober November. It was um, stop drinking November, I think. And I spelled November, capital N-O, Lowercase v e m, capital B e e r, no beer in capital letters. So I was letting everybody know. Look, I'm not going to be drinking for the month of November. Um, I told him I was going to be getting back to a strict strict ketogenic ketogenic diet, no drinking, and uh, really kicking up my fitness. So. Um, my goal for that was to it's a 30 day experiment just to see what I can do, how I can transform my body, how I, how I feel, um, my mental clarity, um, you know, kind of taking a look at my pulse, my blood pressure, my sleep patterns. Um, I'm going to try and annotate, uh, you know, some of this, some of this process. Uh, I didn't get any blood work prior to, I guess I did. I went to a VA appointment, um, about a week before the end of the month, so I could probably get that blood work, get a copy of that, and then have it uh, redone in 30 days, maybe. I might try and do that. Stay tuned. I might try and take some uh, some biomarkers and see if we can compare those things to over 30 days of no drinking, uh, strict fitness, strict keto. But anyway, I am going to be tracking my blood pressure, my pulse, my, um, my eating habits, my hunger, uh, my sleep patterns, just... A number of things <clears throat> that I want to take a look at and say, okay, if I do these things, how do I feel? And then I can compare it to the last uh, two, three months that I've been doing kind of uh, what they call lazy keto. I don't even know if it was lazy keto. I think it was just a sleep keto. I don't, I don't even think it was keto. Um, I definitely increased my carbs and, and alcohol consumption pretty heavily. Did a lot of fasting to get myself back into ketosis instead of doing a a fasting mimicking diet, which is what ketosis kind of is. Um, and I could talk all day about that, but this isn't going to be an episode about keto <clears throat> or diets or anything like that. But So that's what I'm doing for the month of November, so that's just info. Uh, I was at work on Saturday night at Homegrown. I had some friends of mine in there, um, a couple of dudes and, a, and, a, and one of the guys' wife, or not wife, girlfriend, wife no they're not married 
and I was drinking some bone broth because I'm not drinking beer. So I had a had a cup full of uh, looked like it was, a, it was a beer mug. Had a beer mug, a Stein. Had some uh, some chicken bone broth in there that I brought to work. Just trying to to stay clean, trying to keep some nutrition in my body while I'm working, whatever. She asked what I'm drinking. I said, I'm drinking some bone broth. And she said, oh, yeah, you're doing that uh, November thing. You're not drinking. So why are you doing that? And I said, well, X, Y, Z. That's why I'm doing it. You know, the same. I just explained it to you. And she said, oh, well, I couldn't do that. And why are you doing that? What's the big point? Don't you like beer? You know, why don't you just, uh, why stop drinking beer? What's that going to do for you? Blah, blah, blah. And, um... So I explained it a little bit more, and then she got on to the to the keto thing. Well, I see you posting all this keto stuff, and you're going to get back into keto, but keto is not for everybody, and I know you like it, and I know uh, you run a page on it, but it's not for everybody, and it doesn't fit everybody's uh, body, and not everybody can do the keto diet, and not everybody can be successful on it, and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, that's all well and good. Um but the conversation, you know, just started. So uh, she's a member of the Keto Dojo, so I think she saw my post. Or maybe it was just on Facebook. I don't even know if I put it on the Keto Dojo. I probably put it on both. But she saw the post. So I wasn't doing drink for the month. So, that, you know, keto is not for everyone. That was the big thing that she was uh, touting. And I said, I know all diets don't fit everyone. But I know there is a lot of emerging science and resurgence of science that's been hidden, you know, since the 40s. Um, that is showing a lower carb diet is, diet is beneficial for a multitude of things. Um, you know, they're looking at Alzheimer's, dementia. They're looking at all kind of brain, all kind of neurological disorders that that uh, it's beneficial for, because uh, your body, um, you know, the brain, uh, everybody's brain on the standard American diet is basically running off of glucose, uh, largely in part, 100% probably off of glucose. I don't know. But when you're on a ketogenic diet or a low-carb diet and you're burning fat and you're producing ketones with the burning of those fatty acids and you're producing ketones, your your body starts to run on ketones once those get into the bloodstream. And uh, it's a more efficient fuel. And there's tons of science. It's been going on for decades. Um, tons of science showing that um, ketones and lowered glucose is phenomenal for brain health and for not neurological health so it's treating alzheimer's uh you're talking epilepsy you're talking dementia you're talking um seizures uh all kind of stuff not to mention uh the science that that is emerging and has been out there for a little while as well but it's really making a resurgence and emergence that uh it can help to cure cancer that if we starve the uh the cancer cells largely largely uh, run off of glucose so we can eliminate and, and lower the amount of glucose in the body we starve the cancer cells and we can help to at least slow down cancer if not maybe it's it's going to be a way that we can help uh, cure cancer so there's some emergent science for you um, you know the the weight loss benefits of it are phenomenal and that's just uh, that's a that's kind of a, a byproduct of 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 the stuff that you're really fixing. You're fixing the insulin resistance. You're fixing your metabolism. You're uh, helping your body run off a more efficient fuel. You're helping to starve cancer cells. Um, and in the meantime, uh, you lose some belly fat, which is a big proponent of, uh, of death or mortality is, is um, what they call the BMI and, and more specifically the, the waist measurement. Um, that's a, a huge proponent or a huge indicator 
of mortality, um, waist circumference. So with this diet, you burn a lot of fat, and most of the fat is burned off of the midsection and the thighs. So you're preventing uh, mortality or death from <laughs> from this diet. So there's a multitude of things that it's beneficial for. I never said it's the end all be all diet, but it's sure helping a lot of people. I think a lot of times the people that say the keto diet doesn't work for everyone are the ones that are not willing to give up their vices for it to work. It's a scapegoat. It's a cop-out. I mean, absolutely, 100%, it's not going to work for everybody because everybody's different biologically. Um, we are pretty similar. I mean, I'd say probably we're... I'm no scientist. I'm just throwing numbers out there. I haven't done any statistical work on it. I can't say that word for some reason. But um, I'd say we're probably 90% all alike. You know, of course, men, women are different. They have different hormones. They have different functions. They have uh, a lot of different things. Everybody has different blood types. Um, you have different bone makeup. Uh, some people have uh, thicker bones. Some people have thinner bones. Some people have um, the taller, the smaller. Some people are black, they're white, they're brown, they're whatever. Everybody is different. But biologically, by and large, we are all the same. We all evolved the same way over the same uh, hundreds of years, over the same diet up until the industrial age where the diet significantly changed and our bodies were not evolved to manage the amount of carbohydrates and grains that uh, and sugars that we're putting into it. Now, I've said this before, could it eventually evolve to accept all that? Absolutely. It evolved from X, Y to Z, why couldn't it evolve to ZZ and evolve to be very efficient at, at uh, using glucose? It's 100% possible. And it's, if we don't change the way that we're eating right now, if we don't go back to kind of our primal way of eating, we're going to have to adapt to that. But how many years do we have to wait? How much disease do we have to go through? How much uh, pain do we have to, to endure to evolve into that new thing. I don't think we want to. I don't think we want to evolve into that new thing. But we probably will. Probably will. Um, and we're going to evolve into a new thing anyway, which is probably going to be combining with AI. But I'm getting off. I'm getting off on different things. So, But again, I think... I think it'll work for the majority of people. I run a group. I've got uh, 430 plus members in there right now. The Keto Dojo. I talked about it before. It's on Facebook. Um, I see the success that people are having just in the small um, population that I that I can look at and manage and and um, observe. I know the number of people that are having success. I know the numbers. I know the percentages. And if I can take that and multiply that by the, you know, 350,000 people that are in, I don't know if that's the number, but 350,000 people that are in, in the United States, I can, I can put that same number to a bigger graph and say, okay, this percentage of people in this 430-member group are having great success. This percentage should be able to have that across the United States. Now, the other people could probably have that success as well, but they're not doing the program correctly. Um, you have to, you have to stick to it, and that's going to bring me to my next point, which is willpower. But you're going to, you, you have to do 
the way of eating. If you don't, then it's not going to work for you. So you can't flip-flop back and forth. You can't say, okay, I'm going to do keto for this week, but you know, next week I'm going to cheat a little bit because it's Thanksgiving or it's Christmas weekend or whatever. You have to, you have to commit. You have to do it. You've committed to the other way of eating for the past 40 years and you're, or 20 years, 30 years, and you're wondering why you're out of shape and why your health is bad and why you can't run a mile without being out of breath and why your sleep is all fucked up and why you got acne and uh, why you got headaches all the time and why your joints ache. Well, it's because you've you adapted to this way of eating. You don't have any problem sticking to that diet, do you? No, you don't have any problem. You don't cheat on that diet because you're already cheating every single day of the week. So if you can stick to that way of eating, why can't you change to a new way of eating? It's all a mindset. It's all it's all in your mind. It's all willpower. Do you get what I'm saying? Think about that. People are saying, oh, I just can't stick to this diet. Every time I try a diet, I fail at it. Well, you're failing at it because you don't have any, your mind is weak. You don't have any willpower to do it. You've been doing the other way of eating your entire life. That's the way you were brought up. That's the way you're indoctrinated. You got trained. You made it a habit. Make a new way of eating a habit. And you don't have to go back to the other way of eating. There is no cheating. There's no going back to it if you don't want to. It's the mind. Callous your mind. And we're going to get into that. Um, so how do you get the willpower? Here we go. I told her. Callous your mind. Um, how do you do that? How do you, how do you gain willpower, she says. And her friend chimed in. Yeah, how do you get the willpower to, to, to do that? How do you get the willpower to stop drinking for 30 days? Um, and, you know, work here at a bar and not be tempted to take a drink or uh, how do you fast like you do, you know, when you go out to dinner with you, people are eating around you, how do you not eat? I just don't. I just I don't feel hungry for one. And if I'm not hungry, I'm not going to eat. I eat when I'm hungry. I stop when I'm full. That's the only rule. That is the only rule you should have. And you could use that rule and still eat the standard American diet. But don't eat it six times a day like everybody does. You could you could eat the standard American diet, and if you followed the rule, this is just me talking. If you followed the rule of eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full, on the standard American diet, I think you'd be successful as well. I really do believe that. Now, would you be as healthy as you could be? No. But would you be healthier and probably feel better? and lose weight and have a lot of the benefits absolutely because you've kind of you've kind of integrated some of that intermittent fasting into your into your lifestyle but you could still kind of eat the standard american diet so that's an option for you but that takes willpower as well so anything that you do you're going to have to put your mind to it didn't your parents and your teachers tell you that your entire life you can do anything you put your mind to. Put your mind to it and do it. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that this diet is for everybody, but I'm saying if you want to be successful at changing your life and changing your health and changing your biomarkers and changing your blood pressure and your diabetes and whatever, you have to find something and you have to stick to it just like you stuck to the diet you've been doing your entire life. That's all I'm saying. Um, 
But the question was, how did I cal- How did you callous your mind, Brian? How did you callous it to do what you're doing to to not eat when people are eating, to not have a drink, to not drink for 30 days, um, to stick to your workouts? Well, I calloused my mind. Um, and this is some thoughts I had earlier. My entire life, whether it was starting martial arts at age 15 or whether it was joining the Air Force um, at age 19 and going through basic training and technical school and being away from home and family and friends and my support base, uh, where there was multiple moves throughout my life uh, to different bases, to different uh, meeting different people, going to different towns, uh, living in different weather conditions, whether it be uh, the heat of Valdosta, the heat and humidity of Valdosta, Georgia, to the wet, uh, just brutal, windy cold of um, western, southern Illinois, outside of St. Louis, or whether it was the brutal, uh, dry, um, extremely frigid temperatures of Alaska, whether it was be uh, the, the mountains. Um, the, the dry 120 degree heat of Las Vegas. And granted, not everybody has these experiences. They don't have these to pull from to callous their mind. They don't have these uh, trials and tribulations and hardships and um, and tough things to go through to callous their mind. So granted, not everybody has that type of life. But the question was, how do I callous my mind? Uh, so those things. Um, you know, multiple moves throughout my life. Marriage, kids, uh, going through a bankruptcy. Um, whether it might be running a 5K to uh, 10Ks, um, trying to pass my fitness test in the Air Force and stressing out over that or uh, and training for that, or whether it be um, getting that next rank in the Air Force by passing the, the promotion test and studying for that and the stress of those type things. Or uh, the list could go on, whether it was... Um, uh, Training for marathons in, in Alaska, for my first marathon in Alaska, and having to go out there and train because the, the my first marathon was in December um, in Hawaii. But I lived in Alaska, so I've got to train for at least 16 weeks up to that marathon. And I, I couldn't sit in the, in the clinic and train on a treadmill or an elliptical or whatever. I went outside and ran in minus 20-degree weather, in the snow sometimes, most times, in, on ice. I ran... It was tough. It was mentally tough. It was physically tough. And what did it do? It calloused my brain. And it made me physically tough. And it made me mentally tough. Um, whether it be training uh, for ultra marathons and running a 50-mile marathon or doing my first triathlon and um, having to do it while I had walking pneumonia and I couldn't breathe during the swimming. I could not I could not do a normal swim because I couldn't hold my head underneath water long enough because I couldn't catch my breath. I had to backstroke the entire swim on a triathlon. But I completed it. I did it. I set my mind to it. I calloused my mind one more time. Made it even tougher. Um, what else? Whether it was uh, deployments to Iraq or to Kuwait, seeing the horrors of war and wounded airmen and soldiers and Marines and sailors coming through a hospital that I worked at, uh, having mass casualties after bombings, after IED explosions, um, people coming in with no limbs, with their genitals blown off, bullet holes, head wounds, or just dead. And seeing the trail of blood down the hero's way um, as they came off the helicopter into the hospital, into the emergency room, into the operating room. Um, those things callous your mind. Uh, being away from my family for months on end. Uh, divorce, retirement, financial hardships. All of those things are callous in your mind. So 
how did how did the mind become calloused? Through hard things, through suffering, and coming out the other end of it. That's how you got to do it. And you know what? You start a new diet, you're going to suffer a little bit because it's new, it's different. You're trained a different way. Your your habit is something else. You have to make this new way of eating your habit, whether it's the keto diet, whether it's veganism, whether it's uh, vegan, whether it's vegetarian, whether it's uh, paleo, whole thirty. Uh, the grapefruit diet, the Twinkie diet, whatever fucking diet it is, your brain has to let you do it. You have to put your mind to it, right? Your brain has to let you do it. You have to put your mind to it. I like that. I'm going to write a song like that. I'm going to get Fleming Moore to write the song. So, callous your mind. That's how you do it. That's how I did it. Again, not everybody has those struggles, but you have to find those struggles. You have to put yourself through those struggles. You know, go out and do something you don't normally do. If you normally ride the bike every day, go out and start running. If you run all day, go out and start riding the bike. If you don't go to the gym, go to the gym. If you don't like being in front of people, go join a, a public speaking class. Um, whatever the case may be, if you're not good at math, go take a math class. I don't know. Numerous things you could do to callous your mind. Challenge yourself. Do something different. That's it. That's all I'm going to say. So, hopefully... Um, she is listening, and maybe she got something out of this podcast. I hope she did. I wanted to explain myself and kind of kind of tell you where I'm at. I know not everybody can do the keto diet, but guess what? You can do something. You can do something. That's it. Uh, I'm going to leave you with uh, David Goggins' post. This is going to be a Tuesday release, so I always uh, kind of do a David Goggins. So let's see what David says. And it's going to go along with this a little bit. David Goggins says, The impatient mind. Shit's not going to happen overnight in a world that moves so fast. You must be able to slow your mind down. Most of us are willing to try to push ourselves harder to achieve our goal, but the second we hit a setback, we get down on ourselves and allow our minds to spin out of control. Don't let your setback define you. Don't get all poopy pants, kicking rocks with your head down. Always have your head up and shoulders back during setbacks. That body language sends a direct message to your brain that you are still in the game until you hear the whistle. If your goal is to lose weight, your setback might be that you have plateaued. I remember when I was trying to lose the weight to go to BUDS. Um, uh, man, I can't remember what BUDS stands for. But I remember when I was trying to lose the weight and go to BUDS. And for the first three weeks, I lost 15 pounds a week. And then in the fourth week, I lost four pounds. I pushed extra hard the fifth week and again lost a staggering three pounds. The clock was against me as I had just a few weeks left in order to make the cutoff date. So I had to realize that while I wasn't dropping the weight as quickly as I was initially, my new norm was 52 pounds lighter than where I started from. There had a f my new norm was 52 pounds lighter than where I started, and from there I had only 54 pounds to go. I was no longer looking at 106 pounds. I had just 54 pounds left. And it happened in the weeks to follow. What works for me during a long setback is to look back at your setback as your new normal for a few. Man, I'm really messing this one up. I'm sorry, guys. What works for me during a long setback is to look at your setback as your new normal for a while until you get past your plateau. The key is to quiet your mind while in mental hell and embrace whatever obstacle is in front of you with open arms. We must learn to conserve energy and to control the emotional and mental stresses of our setbacks.
Again, it all comes down to the inpatient mind. People start a new diet. They're two weeks into it. They get a craving. They cave in because their mind is inpatient. It can't wait the 21 days that it normally takes to start a new set point in your life to, to gain, make something a new habit. So control your mind and you control your body. I'll talk to you later, guys.